and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stopp. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome back to round two of our first Friday afternoon doubleheader recording session in years maybe ever <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I have no idea if it, if we've ever happened to do this on a friday but at the very least it's been a long time so we we are um not that this matters or affects your listening experience except you have to listen to me blabber on about it but we just wrapped up talking about relics which was when you're listening to this last week's episode and we are um, not continuing on any sort of train of thought connected to that episode, but we are continuing on with a new episode. You so know, it actually is related. A... It's it's related. We okay. In that episode, we talked about Second Kings. We talked about Elisha's bones. Elisha is going to come up in this episode. So there's a, a loose connection for you. That's true. That's true. He, he is at the end of this chapter. So we are going to be talking about, um, generally speaking, if you want to, you know, open up, crack open that, that Bible of yours or... or pull up your app or whatever uh but if you want to turn to first kings 19 this is a pretty i would think pretty well known pretty pretty significant um chapter in the in the bible and in, in the story of elijah the prophet um and also elisha has his calling at the end but um we are going to uh talk through this passage we do this from time to time where instead of a, a more topical um uh, subject. <laughs> I was going to say topical topic, but that didn't sound, that sounded a little silly. So I tried to <laughs> change it, but um, we, we occasionally, instead of taking a topic, we'll take an actual chunk of scripture, a chapter or a story or whatever, um, and talk about certain aspects of it or talk about whatever. So um, I'm going to kick it to you to sort of get us started on this conversation in terms of, uh, I mean, obviously, there's the, there's the the narrative of what happens in First Kings 19, um, which we could simply just talk about it from a narrative standpoint. But obviously, that's not what we're going to do. We have uh, you know other motives for talking about it. So um, why don't you get us started? Whether that means reading the passage or a section of the passage or giving us the lay of the land or whatever it is um, for for where you think we should we should start in talking about. Elijah and this mountaintop experience and sure. all that jazz. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I, what I like and appreciate, dude, about doing these types of episodes is I like approaching scripture with like a fresh set of eyes. Like you said, a lot of people are probably familiar with what's written here in, in first Kings. Um, but what, what can we glean? What can we learn? What can be different? Um, so to, to start, it probably helps to have the context of like what's going on in First Kings. Like we don't want to just jump into chapter 19 without any idea of what's happened. So I've I've sort of like chosen chunks. I, I sort of do like verses at a time to sort of just give you the context of what happened um, before this passage. So this is First Kings 18, starting with verse 18. Um, this is Elijah. He replied, um, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have. He's speaking to, um, why am I completely blanking on the name of this king? Um, Ahab. He, he's speaking A to Captain, Ahab. Captain Ahab. Exactly. Captain Ahab. Um, so he's saying, Elijah is saying, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. 
or more properly, Baals. It's not like, I mean, the Midwest, Baals. We're going to follow the Baals. Um, uh, verse 19, now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 uh, prophets of Asherah uh, who eat at Jezebel's table. Going on to verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. Different translations might even say perhaps he's relieving himself. Maybe Baal is in the bathroom. Uh, Verse 28, they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice and there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 36, at the time uh, for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have uh, turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down uh, to Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rainstorm. So if you if you don't understand, like I didn't give all the context, but basically like Israel and their king are worshiping Baal. Um, Jezebel has negatively impacted and influenced Ahab. Um, and basically a, a prophet of God, Elijah in this case, is trying to call out against this idolatry. Um, there's been a famine in the land, or not famine, there or what uh What's the word for when it hasn't rained? Um, a drought. I don't know why I said famine. There's been a drought in the land. It hasn't rained. Um, and so that's like, there's basically this situation. There's two calves and it's like, is is the, is the fire going to consume, is, is Baal's fire going to consume it or is Yahweh's? Um, and then in the end, the, the rain eventually comes and like the land has water and such. So that's sort of like what happens directly prior to chapter 19. So I'm not going to read all of 19. It's, it's like 23 verses or something like that. Um, but to get the context, starting out in verse uh, 1, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods, that's little g, little g gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like, uh, like the life of the one, um, like one of them by this time tomorrow. That's a really choppy translation, but she's basically saying, um, let the gods kill me if I don't do to you what you did to my prophets. Um, and so instantly Elijah becomes afraid. He runs for his life. Um, he, he's, he abandons his servant and he, he takes a day's journey into the wilderness. He sits down under a tree and he prays to Yahweh. He prays to the Lord that he might die. Um, so it's it's interesting. Like his life is threatened by Jezebel. So he flees, but then he goes away. He goes into the wilderness 
and prays that he might die. Okay. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. So he laid down and slept under this tree. All right, let's keep on rolling. Suddenly, an angel touches him. <laughs> Man, this, this, this story has some wild turns. Uh, the angel said, get up and eat. Uh, then he looked, and there was a head, um, or at his head, was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So this angel is just, like, cooking up some bread on hot stones while Elijah's sleeping. Like, that's pretty cool. So he eats and drinks and lays down again. So he, he like, has his fill, and then he goes to sleep. Um... Then in verse 8, he gets up and he drinks again. Um, then on the strength from that food, he walks 40 days and 40 nights. That's that's an important detail. We've seen this idea of 40, 40 days and 40 nights come up in scripture. And he goes to Horeb, the mountain of God. Where else have we seen things happen at Horeb, the mountain of God, especially surrounding 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years? And so he enters a cave at Horeb and slept the night. Already, this has been like a crazy story. Like, let's just think for a moment. Let's pause and think about what happened in verse 18. In verse, or sorry, chapter 18. In chapter 18, basically Elijah confronts all of the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are unable to do what they're trying to do. Baal doesn't send any fire. Nothing happens. They're Basically, it, it's all in vain. Um, and so as a result, these, these idolaters who, who are worshiping a false god are, are slaughtered, which is, I mean, on one hand, brutal. Um, but on the other hand, like, man, that, like, who, who did this? Like, what, did, did Elijah have an army there? Did Elijah do it himself? Um, and so uh, Ahab sends word to his wife and his wife threatens to kill Elijah. Elijah's terrifi- terrified. He runs away. He's in the wilderness. He wants to die. He meets an angel <laughs> he's like miraculously fed by this messenger bread um and then and, and he's in this cave so that was just to give you get you know up to speed on where we're at here do you have anything yeah. you want to say yeah 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 so i want to to point out those those resonances and take kind of a um a more canonical view of what's happening in 19 less focused on elijah himself per se or like his individual, ex, you know, experience. But there's like it's so easy to skip over these things. We've talked about these kinds of things before. But we've got wilderness. We've got forty days and forty nights. We've got bread from heaven. You know, bread of angels from heaven in the wilderness. Right. So maybe you could see where I'm going. We've got Mount Horeb, <laughs> like you said. Like all of these things that you pointed out. They're, they're not just, you know, good biblical sounding details, right? They're very, and they're not accident. they're not just accidental. Like, oh, well, you know, Elijah lived in the same area of the world where Moses and the Israelites were before. So there's a lot of overlap. Well, it's sure, but also these details are very intentional because this is a written curated text. This isn't just us watching a replay, right? Like somebody wrote wrote this account in this way. This account was preserved and transmitted in this way for a reason. And those details are really significant. So we, we keep talking about Horeb and maybe that's a less familiar mountain. We've talked about this before, but Horeb is Sinai. You can see this in Deuteronomy 4. Um, and this this chapter in, in, in First Kings calls Horeb when, when Elijah gets there, the mount, mountain of God, 
which is a dead giveaway as well. Um, so these kinds of things, right? Miraculous food being given in the wilderness, um, encountering, as we'll see, you know, it's not really a spoiler, but I guess it's a little bit ahead, you know, encountering God at or on this mountain, right? Um, there's more, there's more that we'll talk about, but instead of trying to do it all at once, I thought it made more sense to point it out kind of on the way, but it's really important canonically to think about these aren't like, okay, these details, they're, they're ringing bells, or if they're not, we've told you that they're ringing bells. Um, and, and to point to where those details come from elsewhere in scripture is what's really important. So you've got Israel's 40 years of wandering. The number 40 is, is super important. Where is Israel wandering? The wilderness. The, you know, in their wilderness wanderings, they meet God at Sinai. They're given food from heaven in that wilderness, right? You see all these connections now, like, we'll, we'll, we'll continue on in the story. With those connections starting to be made, we should be thinking, you know, if we're an Israelite hearing this story, if we're somebody who knows the Bible hearing the story, we're thinking about where these de- what what other parts of scripture that these details evoke. And and the story of Moses and the Exodus and the Israelites and Sinai and all these things, right? They ought to be swirling up in our in our mind as we're hearing this story about Elijah. And so as we go forward, think about, continue to think about those details of the story of Israel at Sinai in the wilderness um, and what Elijah is experiencing here. And th- those connections become, I think, much more exciting, so to, so to say. So let's, let's continue on in, in terms of the story, keeping in mind those connections, those, those, those links you know, intertextual links yeah. that we have um, between Moses and Elijah to use, you know, to, to, to sum it up. So just 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 think about it. Yeah, for sure. And what what do we see next in the back half of verse nine? But the sovereign, all knowing, all powerful, ever present ruler of the cosmos asking questions that he already knows the answer to. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, can you imagine? You're like Elijah. You're sleeping in a cave. We don't know. How, we don't know how it came. Was it a voice from heaven? Was it just something he heard in the cave? Well, well. Here's the thing: the word of the Lord came to to Elijah, and he said to him, "Yeah." So Who like is the person. word of the Lord? Is it a person? Uh, uh, well, is not it just Jesus? any person. It's the it's it's the second person. Well, right. But anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, that again, that's, so the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I just love when God asks questions because he knows the answer, but he's giving us a chance to say something. And he does. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) He's asking again. And he answers the same way. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return by the way that you came, the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you will anoint Hazael as uh, king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, uh, from Abel Meolah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And then it goes on where Elisha is appointed as Elijah's successor. Um, but in particular, this passage, uh, you know, verses 1 through 18 are the, 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 the verses that we're wanting to highlight, the verses that we're wanting to call attention to. Um, you know, at this point, Elijah has experienced um, all sorts of things that you and I are never going to experience. I mean, he's a prophet of Yahweh, right? But on this occasion, he's coming off uh, hundreds, maybe, I don't know, hundreds of miles hiking through rough terrain. Um, and this is obviously due, in fact, that to the to Jezebel issuing a note on his head for basically his part in in embarrassing and then slaughtering hundreds of her beloved prophets. And so he's on the run. He's at the end of his rope. He even seems to be done at this point. Obviously, he 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 says, "Take my life." Um, he's frustrated by the the idolatry of of God's people. Um, really, he just seems like defeated, resigned, and and just done with it all. So it, it, it's such an interesting, like, why did he go to the wilderness? Why did he then go to the mountain? What is his end game? What is he trying to do? Um, God, in the, most likely in the second person of the Trinity, the word of the Lord appears and he said to him, um, and even, can we just like read that again? It says in verse nine, suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here? He, he gives his reply. Um, like, I'm just like flabbergasted here for a minute because he says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. So the word of the Lord has come. So is it is it a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus? And so does Elijah recognize this? Does he know this? Does he recognize that there's a person? Does he think he's a messenger of some kind? But he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. So almost speaking of like another person, right? I have been zealous for this thing. But, and this is where it gets interesting. Israel has abandoned your covenant. So at, at first it seems like he's talking about somebody else. But then he says he's abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. So like, th- there's just like all sorts of like, this passage is teeming with, with I think, foreshadowing, with um, calling back, like we've kind of alluded to, with wilderness and food and bread and 40 days and 40 nights. 
Um, but God shows his power in the wind, tears apart, tears apart the mountains, breaks the pieces of rocks. He shows himself through a powerful earthquake and a fire. But like in the end, he tenderly and carefully like speaks to Elijah in the sound of a, of a, a low whisper. And I'm curious like what the significance of that is. So like, again, Elijah being at the end of his rope, being in this cave on the Mount of, of Yahweh, encounters the word of the Lord, is asked why he's here, gives his explanation, set, and then he's told, go to the mouth of the cave. And like all those things happen, right? The the, the wind, the fire, the earthquake. But like those, th- that little bit about like the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. What, what do you think about that? that little bit, man, like what, what is Elijah doing here? Why is he on this mountain? What is he trying to, to gain? If anything, um, did, did you pick up on any of that? Do you have thoughts? I should probably unmute my mic. Yeah. I will, um, continue drawing attention back to Moses because when Israel gets to Sinai, well, for, well, yeah. So when Israel gets to Sinai, in Exodus um, nineteen eighteen, the the what's going on on the mountain is described. The Lord has come down in fire, and smoke has engulfed the um, the mountain, and the mountain is trembling. And when mountains tremble, another word we have for that is an earthquake. <clears throat> and so, what I think is really significant: fire, smoke, which is not the same thing as wind, but you know. Uh, it's air, you know, or the smoke is in the air, whatever. Um, and earthquake, we we see on this same mountain, and and in that, in, you know, Israel is terrified. They're not they're not able to go closer, and the Lord calls Moses up the mountain, Moses and the elders, and then Moses further up the mountain, and that's where they talk face to face. That's where where Moses encounters the Lord. And the same thing is, I what I'm trying to say is the same thing is happening here. Um, the wind for, you know, Hebrew Greek nerds, um, that's Ruach, that's Panuma, that's um, the spirit. It's the same word for wind and spirit of both languages and a, a lot of languages. But, um, and in these, you know, very <laughs> Sinaitic, uh manifestations of God's power, ultimately what, what, what Elijah is met with is a, 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 a conversation, right? A, there's not just this, this overwhelming sort of manifestation of power that Elijah falls down before in recognizing God's presence in it so much as he is on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God encountering God, we can say face to face, quote unquote, right? Just like Moses did. Um, And just like Moses and Elijah did in Matthew 17 at the Transfiguration. Um, But what I ultimately like sort of like the end game that that this chapter is communicating to us, I think, is a covenant renewal because all of that stuff that's going on at Sinai, that is where Moses is given the law. That is where Israel receives the covenant. And it's the same covenant that Elijah is so upset about the fact that Israel has forsaken. And that 
it, you know, whether, I, I don't know, whether he hoped to get this result or not, he goes into the wilderness, and then he's told, he's directed to go to Sinai, just like Israel was. There, he's brought to God's mountain, and then there, he's saying, God, he meets with God, and he's saying, there is, there is, there is no longer faithfulness to your covenant among your people in your land, right? And skipping a little bit to the end, what we actually see is a covenant renewal through Elijah, where God does not give up on the Israel that has given up on him. But Elijah is sent to anoint faithful kings, to to anoint a faithful prophet. And he's told that God has actually kept a remnant of 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal, right? And so the the upshot of this mountaintop experience is going back down the mountain, Elijah, going back down the mountain, you know, armed with the knowledge, armed with the command, the instruction by God to restore covenant faithfulness. That's the role of prophet is to call the people to repentance. You know, we see that in, in like Elisha, like he's calling like, you're not the last prophet. You know, Jezebel might have killed all the other prophets, like Elijah says, but you're not going to be the last one. Like, you are going to have a successor. And, you know, the the throne is not, um, you know, lost to Ahab and Jezebel and their family and dynasty forever. You are going to anoint a king, right? A, a, a new king, a better king, who is going to um, put the enemies of God to death. And, and, and so there's... What, what I think is happening here is God is, is in a mini, you know, a microcosmic kind of repetition of Sinai, uh, you know, Sinai with Moses and, and following the Exodus. He, he is reestablishing, not, not reestablishing in the sense that, you know, he had been unfaithful to it or he had let it sort of lapse. But Israel's unfaithfulness, he, you know, to the covenant required because they had been un, unfaithful to it it required a renewal it required a, which we see we see renewals of the covenant all the time in that's what it is when when israel repents you know throughout the, the story of judges throughout um when the when you know good kings come to the throne and and destroy high places or tear down idols those sorts of things and so that's what i think is happening here and that's where the connections i think to elijah and moses point us to and and of course like i mentioned all of this i think is is it it culminates in the transfiguration where moses and elijah come are are are, you know i have my little i think i've mentioned it i have my pet theory that they are are time traveling and and they actually are experiencing the transfiguration during the times where they're on mount horeb meeting with god but that's not that important. It's just fun. Um, but uh, that is, this is, this is like, like Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, Moses, Elijah is fulfilled in Peter, James, and John witnessing the transfiguration of Christ on the mountain. And you see um, not the smoke of, of fire and earthquakes, but you see the cloud of the spirit. Christ himself, his flesh transfigured his clothes whiter than any bleach could make it. And the voice 
coming out of the cloud saying, this is my son, right? And and you see this full manifestation of, um, the full revelation of who God is um, fulfilled in the mountaintop experience of the transfiguration, um, you know, as sort of the fulfillment of the type here yeah. of Elijah on the mountain and Moses on the mountain. And ultimately the purpose of all of it is covenant faithfulness to, to God. Right. And, and, and the covenant is established with, with Moses on Sinai. It is in this way, I'm saying it is, it is sort of typologically renewed in Elijah's uh, encounter here. Yeah. Um, and ultimately fulfilled and renewed in the transfiguration. And so that that's what I think is going on is, is this agree. covenant yeah. idea which which we see in we see in remnant, we see in the kings, we see in the the prophets. So um I think like cuz you had actually mentioned this uh when we were going back and forth about about uh what to, you know, what to what to cover in this episode. Um but you you had mentioned sort of in passing we were just texting you had mentioned in passing like a Moses connection and so i was i kind of went into this like expecting there to be a Moses connection um which was really helpful because then what i realized was oh it's not just a Moses connection <laughs> like it's actually all over this passage yeah. is sort of a a a, re, a Moses recapitulation in a way yeah. which is really really important i think and like you know, I had a buddy who every time we had a, um, every time we had to ser- had to preach a sermon in sermon class, we were assigned passages. And every time uh, he would start working on this next one, he would say, "This this passage is the center of all of Scripture." And then he'd get <laughs> to the next one, and he'd st- he'd start studying. He'd be like, "Whoa, look, guys, you got to listen. Wrong. To me. This it's is the this, cent- one. this is the this is the hinge of everything." And it's like sort of a similar experience where it's like, this, like "Oh, this is actually the you know." This is like so crucial yeah. to to the 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 story of the re, the redemptive history of God's story with Israel um, is is right here in in First Kings nineteen where there's nothing explicit here about you know covenant renewal but it's all over the language it's what's there right and what is actually it's is what's actually happening is yeah. you, you know like so much narrative when you read between the lines you realize what's being set up for us by the the author of this is it's not just a story about Elijah that happens to take place in this setting or that setting right but like it's 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 a piece of literature which means it's all constructed purposefully like something we've talked about yeah. plenty of times before where it's not an accident that it says wilderness it's not an accident that the angel makes bread right like you know like all these little details where they're there for a reason and I think that reason is to point us back to Sinai, point us ahead to transfiguration. And what we get is this, this, uh, you know, series of mountains wherein God comes down, um, in order to covenant, in order to, uh, you know, maintain, in order to promote, in order, in order to, to con, not conjure, but, uh, create faith and faithfulness in his people. So I think, I think that's, that's really important and really it was really cool to see yeah i'm glad you suggested this topic because it was Dude, it's major it's so good and all of what you said i wholeheartedly agree with i don't disagree at all but like you said read between the lines a little bit i'm just gonna very briefly read between a couple of lines and sort of like draw out my conclusion but again you have to imagine i mean do you know what elijah means it means yahweh is lord 
Like, in, in, in a way, in a way, he forgot his name. He forgot the message he wanted Israel to embrace. Because, like, when you're, when you're reading chapter 18 and then you read chapter 19, you're almost like, why is, why is he so afraid of Jezebel? Why does he flee? Like, he, everything that just happened the day prior was pretty magnificent, pretty remarkable. Um, like, Yahweh showed up in a big way and the people recognized it, saying, the Lord is God. Um, but then, like, the next day, he's, he's like, running. And so, like, it, it, I think in a way, like, even people who believe in God's sovereignty can, can at times fail to believe that he is God, that he still remains sovereign. Because you have to imagine, if you're Elijah living in context, probably for years and years, you've experienced, like, your people not following your God, um, following false gods and idols and succumbing to the worship of, of vanity. And you've been like, literally your job is to preach out against it, preach out against it, preach out against it. And nothing's happening. I mean, if I was doing a job and like continually failing and not getting success, I'd be pretty defeated too. And so it's like, it's almost like Elijah's like, he, he's getting these glimpses of who God is and in his might. Um, and so he finds himself on this mountain um, and it seems like, it seems like what, what Elijah wants for his, for his people and for himself though, is this spectacular demonstration, which did happen quite literally the day before, or at least at this point, maybe several days, but like he wants God's power. I mean, like that's, I think that's, what's interesting about the, 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 um, uh, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. And then it's saying like Yahweh wasn't in it. So like those things are happening around the mountain, but it's not Yahweh in that moment. But where is Yahweh? Where where does God show up? It says um, uh, in verse 12, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And that is what draws him out. So he, 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 all these things are happening. He comes out to this whisper and it's as if God says like, what are you doing here? This is where you're not supposed to be. I have things for you to do. Um, and so he tells him to go basically go do what you, what you, what I tell you. And at the end of the day, it's like, I think a message of this passage is like one, yes, God is sovereign. Even when it seems like maybe God isn't even there. Even when the people have fallen victim to to following idols and false gods, um, God is there. He's moving. He's working. He's active in the world. Um, and I, I don't know. I think for for perhaps like weary pastors in different parts of the world, where um, you know maybe there's the threat of persecution, maybe there's the threat of um, you know losing your life, even if it's a you know a, a danger to to worship God. Um, and in a lot of ways, you might feel like Elijah, you might feel defeated, you might feel broken and just like, is anybody listening to what I'm saying? And so like the encouragement is like, you know, sometimes, sometimes things happen and like, like obviously God is sovereign. So in some sense, God is in the wind, he's in the earthquake, he's in the fire, but also at other times, like he's there in a whisper, he's there in faint and quiet ways that you don't see or recognize at first. So even though Elijah is experiencing the things he's experiencing in Israel, it might feel like God isn't there. I think what is like trying to be communicated is like very much the fact that God is there. He's working. He's about to do something new by instilling Elisha and a new king, as Lucas has already mentioned. Um, and all of that 
is like, wrapped up in everything I've said is everything that you've said, everything that you've communicated about the, um, you know, the repetition, the foreshadowing, the, the fulfillment, even who, who, I mean, like Elijah is a major character in scripture, but like, who's the true Elijah? Who's the true prophet that, you know, defeats the idols, so to speak. I mean, it's the word of the Lord that, that, that Elijah encounters, um, so if there, yeah, if there's any application as you as you walk away from a passage like this, it's just like, um, I mean, God is good. God is God is God. Um, yeah, d- despite the the chaos that might surround you, and I feel that sometimes I feel like the world is getting crazier and crazier. We've had this crazy like haze. I don't know what it's like down in Virginia, but like the the um, like the air quality in the Midwest. Um, earlier this week was the worst air quality in the entire world. Like Chicago specifically, the city of Chicago had the worst air quality in the entire world, which is pretty insane. Like there's all these advisories and people saying, you know, wear masks, limit exposure to outside time. Um, and it's like, that's crazy. Like that's a, a cr- I've never really experienced that sort of thing in my life where I live. And it's like, th- that's an example of weather. But then you factor in, you know, political complications and war and just all the things that ravage societies, um, it can be difficult to like remain hopeful, to remain confident, to remember that covenant that like that Yahweh has established with his people. Um, so yeah, my application is like, despite the the trials and tribulations, which, which sounds so corny, but despite the very real happenings in life, like God is near, he is sovereign. Um, sure, he might be in an earthquake, but he's also in that, that quiet whisper. Um, so I don't know. Any final thoughts, or are we good to to bounce out of this guy? No, I think I think that that about covers it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being up, Lucas, for uh, wanting to talk about this. I thought it was a super interesting passage. I'm glad we got to discuss it on air. Um, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or you can send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Send us your feedback, questions, episode ideas. Um, tell us what you think about this passage. Um, whatever it might be, we'd love to hear from you. Um, be nice, be nice seen, trust God, cast lots, all those things. And until next time, peace out. <laughs>